following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Um, well, um, I hope that uh, those of you who were here last week um, felt that our discussion uh, was profitable, um, got a lot of positive response uh, to the change in uh, format. So I have good news and bad news, uh, uh, and it's the same. We're going to do it again. So if you liked it, good news. If you didn't, bad news. Um, we're going to try it again this morning. So if you please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 20, and that's page 840 in the Pew Bibles. Um, so I've said this before, uh, that mm, the mm, Scripture is recorded strategically, and Mark, in his gospel, um, recorded things and put things where they are uh, for a purpose that's outside of chronological order. Okay, so this account that we're going to look at now, uh, you'll notice if you read uh, like the Gospel of Matthew, does not happen in the same place, um, but it is the same account. Um, so Mark included this account where he did because it's dealing with the same issue that we dealt with last week in the passage that we looked at then, um, where Jesus uh, calmed the storm. And the issue is fear as opposed to faith. Um, and the fear that we talked about uh, then, last week, is a fear that rose out of doubt, a lack of trust in Christ. Um, and this week, we're going to deal with a different kind of fear that is opposed to faith, and that's a fear of loss, um, so let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get right into it. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for um, this uh, method of discussion that you have brought to us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that it would be fruitful, that we would all mature as disciples together, um, not just politely listen week after week, but engage with your word and study for ourselves. Um, so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would use this time um, to grow us and to bless you. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I want to ask, um, before we get into the study, uh, how was your assignment? Nobody turned in any papers for me to grade, which was a relief. Wonderful, wonderful. Did so. Let me ask. So our our assignment was was a specific to write your prayers down, which is great. And if you did that, wonderful. But the second part of that was to examine them and see really are your prayers coming from a place of faith or a place of fear? God, don't you care 
what's happening to me, like the disciples said in the boat, don't you care what's going on? Um, we're perishing, we're dying, and you're asleep, right? So any reflection on that part? Yeah. Well, you don't know there's a problem until you see it, right? So anyone else? I found it to be horribly challenging, (laughs) to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie. You can check my book, and there's only a few things written down in there. And I can tell you from my own observation that for for only a couple of possible reasons is either that I, I don't pray very much um, or I'm lazy or forgetful. Uh, and I'd love to just say it's only one of those. <laughs> but uh, for me personally, it's, it's honestly all three of those things together. So um, you won't see my book uh, packed to the gills. Um, but I think we're, we should continue this. It's not like that was your assignment for last week and I never have to worry about it again. Keep doing it. Keep examining um, because it will challenge you in your, in your own prayer life and your uh, trust in the Lord. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 5, uh, start at verse 1. I know this is a, a, a big chunk, but it's all the same account. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And now is how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. That's a fun story. I'll look for pictures of flying pigs to put up on the screen. Because we say 
Well, that'll happen when the pig flies. We have it right here in the Bible. It flew right down the steep bank into the lake. Okay, so let's uh, let's examine this a little bit. Who is who? Um, let's just do our, our our W's. Who, what, where, when, and why. So who is uh, who is here in this um, uh, account? Jesus. Answer number one is always correct. Good job. Right, man with a legion, right? Sometimes you see in Scripture they're called demoniacs or something like that, a demon-possessed man. Yes? Okay. Who else? Several pigs. Yeah, several thousand pigs. Okay. Anyone else? The disciples are there. Okay. And the, yeah, the herdsman, pig farmer. Okay. Now, I have a, I have a question. For those of you who are not biblical geographical scholars, what does the fact that there's a herd of pigs there, what does that say about the region? It's not terribly Jewish, right? That's true, okay? So where this account takes place, if you look in the back of your Bible and the maps, you can see the Sea of Galilee. This happens on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. I'm sorry I didn't put a map up there, but it's a lake and it has sides. On the east side uh, is an area called Decapolis, and that's 10 Greek cities, um, Gentile cities. So that's where this is happening, okay, the, the, the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, some of your Bibles might say the Gadarenes uh, or the Gergesenes, okay. It's all this, the people in the same region. The uh, Gadara was a village, so that's where the Gadarenes or I can't say it, I just say it with confidence. Right, uh, so that's kind of where this is all happening. This is a Gentile area. Okay, so what? Uh, what about this man uh, living among the tombs? What do you see about him? What was his condition? In bad, it's in bad shape. Yes, true, Daniel. Yeah, he's not in good shape. Cut himself with stones. There's somebody else over here. Yeah, the mayor of town doesn't usually live in the cemetery, right? Among the tombs in the caves. Yeah, he's tormented. Absolutely. When he says, my name is Legion, for we are many, uh, there's a lot going on inside of this man. Right. Um, so what happens to the men? What uh, Jesus steps foot on shore, and then what? Well, no, that's not. He did come up to Jesus, yes, but that's not what he did. Yeah. What What do you want to do with us? What did the What did the men? do physically like he run to jesus and okay now is he worship jesus here no but is he uh genuflect his bow before the son of god he is right this is not we worship you jesus but we recognize your authority all right this you are the son of the most high god they did say that and they were bow before him because they had no choice right 
I think that's important for, for us to remember when we're talking about uh, honeybees hugging hornets to death. Um, that's, um, it's important to remember who has a superior power, right? Um, okay, so what did Jesus do for the men? Sorry, Andrew, what? Yeah. So, all right, he, he casts the demons out, but it doesn't happen immediately, right? So it's kind of a dialogue here, which uh, is a, it seemed a little backwards because Jesus says to demon, get lost, demons go, right? But there's kind of a conversation here. I think that's interesting. Um, because it says he was saying to him, get out, and, and the demons are like, leave us alone. Sure, this is not a popular guy, but everybody knew him, and nobody could stand him. But Jesus still cared about what's going on with him. Yes, yeah, a good point. Okay, so Jesus casts out the demons. Uh, they jump into the pigs, and the pigs... Go down the hill into the lake. 2,000 pigs. Uh, it doesn't really give us a specific number of how many demons were tormenting this man. Um, and if it was just five and they were at the back of the 2,000 pigs, I, I don't know. But said, we can safely assume a lot. Um, in the Roman army, a legion was 6,000 men. Okay, so it's kind of borrowed language here, but we can assume a lot. I think a safe assumption is a lot. Um, and I think that that's important, too, in kind of getting at um, some of the cultural, I don't know, fairy tale ideas of what the devil is like, that everybody has a demon on one shoulder and an angel on the other, right? This guy had thousands, right? So you don't, everybody's not assigned one devil and one angel to make sure they, you know, Choose right and wrong. That's a fairy tale. It's fiction. Not based on scripture, that's for sure. So now I think it's important to think about how did everybody else respond, right? Jesus cast out demon, bunch of them from this man and set him free. This is a guy who's trouble. He's uh, howling at the moon. Crazy man, right? And Jesus sets him free. What a wonderful thing, right? How do the locals respond? All right, so you got people that ran and told everybody in town, okay? And, the, and then those people were afraid. Anything else? What? Okay, well, so I'm, I'm thinking about after... Jesus has cast out the demons. They, they go into the pigs and run into the lake. But the, the locals responded to this. They begged, they begged Jesus to leave. Now, does that seem odd to you? Where we've got no more pigs. They're worried about lunch, right? We were going to have ham sandwiches, but we have nothing to feed you anymore. I don't, I don't think so. They wanted Jesus to leave. Why do you think that was? 
I think you're right. It's threatening their livelihood. So you just imagine. I, I, I don't know if you can or not, but you're a pig farmer, and you have a herd of 2,000 pigs. That makes you fairly wealthy. I mean, this is uh, resources, right? Not cash in the bank necessarily, but you sell a pig, and you make some money off of that. And if you have 2,000 of them, that's a lot of money, right? And then someone comes along and kills them all. Great. I'm so happy that you're here, right? What's that? Uh, yeah, this is, you don't even know who this guy is. He just comes along and murders all your pigs, and they're floating downstream, right? Is it probably not a, I don't know, not real popular? And so they beg him to leave. They don't want to lose any more. Interesting, isn't it? Now, it's not fair for us because we have different perspective than these people. Right? We can see, we know this is Jesus. We've read what he's done. We know who he is. They didn't. They just freak out and get out of here. Well, what about the man who has been freed? Why did he want to go with Jesus, you think? Sure. Yeah. Maybe he's afraid the townspeople are going to turn on him because they lost their pigs because of him. That's possible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Last time I went to town, you yeah you chained me all up. Yeah. Sure. Is that bad? Was what he? No, I don't think so. But I think uh, this is just my opinion here, because here we are pooling ignorance at this point. Where, <laughs> um, I think all of that has got to play a part. He's afraid maybe the demons will come back. Jesus just set him free, and I kind of want to stay near the safety, right, of of Jesus. I don't want that to happen to me again. Uh, and then because I get chained up and nobody likes me and I got to live out here in the cemetery. Yeah, I don't I don't think that he was free from attachments because Jesus specifically said go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So I don't think that this was a stranger that uh, just he was born out there on a hillside and he's never been to town before. We don't know who he is. He's just a nut. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think, 
that uh, that he did have relations in town. And he trusted the Lord enough to go do it. Uh, yeah, he he, and then some. Actually, he said, "Just go tell your friends and family." He went and told the hell, the whole Decapolis. That's ten cities. Like he went on a speaking tour, right? Why do you think Jesus said no to him? Why he says, "I want to come with you," and Jesus said, "No." Why? Okay. Yeah, I had had some work to do, right? What what I think is interesting, and uh, maybe this is just a, a trivia trivia question, but every time Jesus set a Jewish person free, he said, "Don't tell anybody." Now, here he has a Gentile man. He said, go tell your friends. And not only he tells his friends, but he tells everybody in the whole Decapolis, which is a, it's a fairly large uh, area. Interesting. Yeah. I, th- I think at this point also everyone who has followed Jesus is Jewish. It was not a mixed crowd because it's still dealing with a lot of um, those cultural boundaries uh, between the Jews and the Gentiles, and that, just logistically speaking, would uh, would interrupt that. Yeah, Gentiles weren't looking for a Messiah. The Greek cities, they didn't care about that. But they knew who God was, is, right? They knew who the God of the Jews is. Um, so I think that's significant because he said, uh, go, go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So that's his gospel presentation. This is what happened to me, right? Here's where I was. And then the Lord showed up, and here's how God had mercy on me through him. So sweep all these things together. What do you think is the core uh, teaching of this passage? Why did Mark include this? Or why did the Holy Spirit prompt Mark to include this account? I learned not to call them stories from my theology professor at Bix, who just happens to be here this morning. I don't call it stories. We call it accounts. I do remember that lesson. What what do you think is the core teaching? Why was this account included, Daniel? Hmm. Yeah. Well, when I 
I will agree with you and say when we have faith in Christ, we have living inside of us one who is greater than the one who's in the world, right? That's what the Bible says. Uh, and so we don't have to fear demons. They are powerful and they are at work, but we don't have to be afraid of them. So I think that's true. But I don't know that that's why this story is in account. Why this? I could get away with it any other Sunday. Well, I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's why this account is included in Scripture. <laughs> I think that is cert- there is certainly a message for the Gentiles there, that they that they matter, right? They count too. They're part of God's redemptive plan. Um, so, I mean, word is getting out at this point. It's already um, been said that people were coming as far as Idumea, all the way s- south of Jerusalem, had been going up to Galilee to see Jesus. And I'm sure news got to this side of the lake as well, even though there were Gentiles uh, in that area. Um, so I think they may have started to come up with some expectations that this might be good for them as well. Well, so that kind of brings out another important thing, that it's not not every uh, passage of Scripture is a one-point sermon. So, sorry, I know I like it that way, uh, but um, I think that there, and actually in preparing for this, most of the time I'm preparing, I'm preparing thinking that this is about Jesus' superior power, that Jesus is superior to demons, He's superior to peril. He's superior to situations and circumstances. And he's got it handled. And we can rejoice that we have faith and can trust in one who has a superior power. Is that wrong? No. But it's not all of it. Right? Yeah, too bad the herdsman didn't agree with him. I think that's the other that's the other part of the puzzle is um, uh, maybe you remember from a scripture, um, uh, uh, a man doesn't build a tower until he counts the cost. You don't get started and then quit halfway through because you run out of money or resources. And you don't, you don't go to war um, against 30,000 with only 10,000. You have to figure out if it's going to be, if the cost is going to be too much. Right. So here I think you have an opportunity to see um, faith at cost. Um, And these people said this costs too much. 
to have you here. Um, you're, you just cost us 2,000 pigs. What happens when you get to the cow farm, you know, and to the goat farm? What's going to happen then, right? You're just going to come through and kill everything? I'm not sure that I'm not sure that's it either. But I think that there is a certain fear that um, following Christ will cost you. And there's also reality in that as well. That following Christ is going to cost you. But is the cost greater than the than the prophet? Right? This man has to live in a cemetery, chained up, bound up, with the alone skulking about in darkness and Jesus sets him free and all it did was cost 2,000 pigs. Is that, a, is that worth it? I think so. And how, how much greater is uh, uh, the testimony of someone to people who knew them before? Like, yeah, you're the guy that lived in the cemetery. We know you, and you're not like that anymore. What happened? Well, let me tell you. Right? Yeah. What? <laughs> Somebody flipped to the end of the notes. <laughs> Spoiler alert, yeah. Well... Mm-hmm. And yet he says to this guy, I want you to go back home and yeah. share what the Lord has done for you. Yeah, that's kind of a double-edged sword there, isn't it? Yeah, only, in a, only in his hometown is a prophet without honor, right? Uh, having, having gone and served the church in my hometown, I can echo, <laughs> I can echo that a little bit, um, which is why I'm glad that this is my hometown now. Um, but I think that there's, there's a kind of both and. Um, at work there. All right, I want to read a quote again. Uh, just, I only have one scholar for you this time, and it's up there, and it's smaller than last week. I tried to make it easier to read, and I think I made it smaller. So, um, do your best. Anyway, we have here a striking proof that not all who perceive the hand of God profit as they ought to by yielding themselves to him in sincere godliness. Having seen the miracle, the gatherings were afraid because the majesty of God shone brightly in Christ. So far they did right, but now that they send him out of their territories, what could have been, what could have been done worse than this? They too were scattered, and here is a shepherd to collect them. Or rather, it is God who stretches out his arms, through his son to embrace and carry to heaven those who were overwhelmed by the darkness of death. They chose rather to be deprived of the salvation which is offered to them than to endure any longer the presence of Christ. The apparent ground of their offense is the loss of the swine. But Luke assigns a loftier cause, that they were seized with great fear, and certainly if they had been exasperated by the loss which they sustained, 
they would not have requested him, but would, would rudely have driven him out. They honor him as God's minister, and yet are so struck with dread as to desire that they will go to a distance, that he will go to a distance from them. Thus we see that they were not at all moved by a sense of the divine grace. And indeed, though all wicked men adore God and bestow great pains on appeasing him, yet if they had their choice, they would withdraw to the greatest possible distance from him. For his face is terrible so long as they contemplate him as a judge and not as a father. The consequence is that the gospel, which is more delightful than anything that can be conceived, is everywhere considered to be so dismal and severe that a good part of the world would wish that it were buried. And yet it is true that their fear was partly occasioned by their loss. Thus at the present day, so long as men believe that the kingdom of God is opposed to their interests, either of a public or private nature, they are prepossessed by a depraved and carnal fear and have no relish for his grace. Accordingly, when he comes, they think that God does not regard them with favor, but rather with anger. And so far as lies in their power, they send him to another place. It is a mark of shameful insensibility in those men that the loss of their swine gives them more alarm than the salvation of their soul would give them joy. I think that's a very powerful thought. So last week, um, we discussed how Jesus can be trusted. That was kind of the key issue in the text that we looked at. So I'll ask you, how does recognizing Jesus' superior power lead to trust to him? How does recognizing Jesus' superior power lead to trust to him? Daniel, you have a thought? Okay. So he has he has power can protect us, yeah? Yeah. Absolutely. Anyone else? You think if I just say anyone else enough times and wait long enough, they'll just give you the answer? Because I'm not going to do that. What might be some other possible results of recognizing Jesus' superior power? What did the, what did the locals, they recognized Jesus' power, right? And what did they do? They send him away. Yeah. Yeah, I think, right, like Calvin said, they saw a miracle, right? They witnessed God's divine grace, but it was going to mess up their lives, and they wanted to stop, to go away. So I, I think that it's important for us to see that, you know, 
I think maybe we get kind of blinded and saying, well, we believe in Jesus, and so this is how everybody should react, right? To see Jesus' power, we can trust him. But not everybody responds that way, right? So what might be some possible effects of not recognizing Jesus' superior power? Yeah, that's very sad. Eternal separation from God, that's a sad state. Oh, I remember, <clears throat> which is a miracle, a few weeks ago, talking about uh, uh, um, C.S. Lewis's um, trilemma, right? That, that Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord, but he's not just a good guy not just a good teacher because a good teacher wouldn't claim the things that Jesus claimed because he would be either crazy or a liar. So there's no other option that, that he's either uh, uh, lying to you, he's deceiving you, uh, he's a nutcase, or he really is who he says he is. And I think this, um, th- that's involved here in this question, the effects of not recognizing Jesus' power. You just say, well, he's a good teacher, he's a good guy, everybody likes him. No problem with that. That can't be the case. That that can't be true. If you don't recognize God as Father, you will have to recognize Him as Judge, and that's uh, a horrible place to be. So I'll ask another question. I think uh, probably you'll just give me a Sunday school answer. But um, is <laughs> Jerusalem Moses? Is what you stand to lose by truly following Jesus greater in your mind than you stand to gain? Now, the easy answer is, well, no. Yeah. But think about how you really live, not how you're acting right now or how you want maybe us to think about you, but think about how you really live, how you really think. Do you stand to lose? Is it, is it worth what you stand to lose to gain what you stand to gain. I think, again, we have to examine ourselves. We can't just say, fill in the blanks, here are the right answers, hand my paper in, here's your A. We have to examine how we really live. That's how we write down, that's why we write down our prayers and examine them. What, how are you really praying? Are you praying in trust? Are you praying at all? Are you praying in fear, doubt? Is it selfish? Is it selfless? Is what you stand to lose by truly following Jesus, by taking the next step in your faith in Christ, is what you stand to lose greater in your mind than what you stand to gain? I think sometimes that's hard because we see what we stand to lose and we don't really know what we have to gain. What does a deeper, richer walk with Christ look like? What are the benefits? Well, I don't know. You know, but I know what I have to give up. And boy, I like that stuff. 
I want you to think about that. Is what you stand to lose by truly following Jesus greater in your mind than what you stand to gain? So that leads us to applying our principles, applying the principles. So if you think back through what we have discussed, we think about how to design an application for life. We can have a fruitful discussion if we don't have fruit. We can have a discussion and just leave the same way. But if we don't come up with an, an application, we've kind of wasted our time. So I'm, I'm going to break the mold and have another couple of quotes for you here. Um, that's supposed to be in consult the scholars, not apply the principles. But uh, there are no rules here. So. John Calvin wrote, We must now add the symbolical meaning. In the person of one man, Christ has exhibited to us a proof of his grace, which is extended to all mankind. Though we are not tortured by the devil... Yet he holds us as his slaves till the Son of God delivers us from his tyranny. Naked, torn, and disfigured, we wander about till he restores us to soundness of mind. It remains that in magnifying his grace, we testify our gratitude. What made the man's testimony in the Decapolis powerful? God's power and his relationship to them. They knew the story. You're the guy that is a crazy man, and nobody could chain you up. No one could hold on to him. Superhuman strength, right? Word gets around about somebody like that. His testimony was powerful because they knew him before, and he testified of his gratitude for what God had done for him. And one more quote. Robert Jameson wrote, To be a missionary for Christ in the region where he was so well known and so long dreaded was a far nobler calling than to follow him, follow Jesus, where no one had ever heard of him and where other trophies not less illustrious could be raised by the same power and grace. This man could have gone with Jesus and gone to Bethany or Jerusalem or back to Capernaum and said, This is what God did for me. And people say, Wow, that's awesome. You're Gentile, and we don't like you. So we don't want to listen to you anyway. But even if that were not an issue, they still didn't know the story. He could just be making it up. But there in the Decapolis, they knew. All right, so here's your assignment. This is where you write it down. Ready? Your assignment is twofold. The first part is to consider prayerfully your attitude on your material possessions and whether or not you have submitted them to Christ's rule in your life. I will read it again. <laughs> did I put it up there? I don't know if I did. Yeah, there we go. So, first part, consider prayerfully your attitude on your material possessions, your house, your car, your clothes, your stuff, right? Consider carefully whether or not you have submitted them to Christ's rule in your life. What do I mean by that? Do the things that you own own you or are they tools 
for you to use to serve the Lord? That's, that's really the question here, right? I've caught myself this week. I have, I have, our family has two vehicles. It's almost like 0.95 vehicle uh, because we're having some issues with them. And I, I complain a lot, which, as you may know, is not a spiritual gift. Um, it's not on the list. And I caught myself this week. I catch myself all the time. This piece of crap truck, I just, I fight and fight and fight with it, and it never does what I want it to do. Well, what do I need it to do? I need it to get me from place to place, get the kids from place to place, wherever the Lord has called us to go. That's, I get there. I, I have yet to have to walk, right? But anyway, does it serve me? Do I serve it? Do we both serve the Lord? I think that's kind of the crux of the, of the issue there. So the second part of your assignment is to write out your testimony, how Jesus in his power delivered or rescued you, and commit to share that with someone. Now, this is not an opportunity for, for you to do the campfire thing and just try to outdo the next guy. Like, well, they used to be, you know, they used to use a lot of bad language. Well, I used to murder pigs, and so I'm going to just fluff it up to make it look worse. Nobody has a boring testimony. Nobody. Because you were dead. And by faith in Christ, you were made alive. That's not boring. So that's your challenge, uh, your assignment. Write out your testimony, how you came to Christ, what he has done for you, and commit to share that with someone. I think that's also really important because you all live where you live. You all, we all are like this guy with the Legion, right? There may be people that you know that knew you before, and now you're different. And they don't know why, or they might not know why. Make an opportunity to show them why. And by writing that out, you get to kind of process your thoughts about that and, and have a way that you could share it. So that's, that's your assignment. Consider your attitude. Is what you have to lose better than what you have to gain? And write out your testimony and share it with someone. How Jesus, in his power, delivered you. It doesn't have to be from 2,000 demons. Um, but he did rescue you from sin and death. Some people could do that if they get it done by Thursday. Oh, there's a hint. <laughs> if you go to Bible study with Mr. Aaron, maybe you could work on that before Thursday and share it then. You could do that too. Yes, just to share it. I won't get super specific, but um, all right. I want to I want to read to you a poem, and we'll close with this. Three points in a poem. That's how I have a good sermon. We've had two points. Here's a poem anyway. It's called Gadara, A.D. thirty-one, by John Oxenham. Rabbi, be gone. Thy powers. Bring loss to us and ours. Our ways are not as thine. Thou lovest men, we swine. O get you hence, omnipotence, and take this fool of thine. 
His soul, what care we for his soul? What good to us thou hast made him whole, since we have lost our swine? And Christ went sadly, for he had wrought for them a sign of love and hope and tenderness divine. They wanted swine. Christ stands without your door and gently knocks. But if your gold or swine the entrance blocks, he forces no man's hold, he will depart and leave you to the treasures of your heart. No cumbered chamber will the master share, but one swept bare by cleansing fires, then plenished fresh and fair with meekness and humility and prayer. Then will he come, yet coming even there, he stands and waits and will no entrance win until the latch be lifted from within. I'd be happy to provide that poem for you. It makes an important point that Jesus is not going to bust down the door of your heart. You have to open the latch. All right, you have your assignment? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the time that we are able to be in your word together as a family. I pray, Lord, that this would, in fact, be fruitful, not just because we like it, um, but it would be fruitful because you have wrought change in our lives and helped us to mature. I pray, Lord, that we take our assignments seriously, that we actually do it and see the benefit. Lord, again, we thank you for this time. We pray that your spirit would continue this discussion in our hearts and among, uh, among us as we fellowship together. We l- love you, Lord. May your name be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890